imposters, and welcome back to the You're Not Qualified podcast. So I'm going to lead with a little cute disclaimer here at top because I did receive some feedback that the sound effects for the first episode were a bit jarring. I am sorry about that. They were kind of loud when I played them back, but also I really wanted to take us back to the Cretaceous period for a little bit with some fax machine sounds, so sue me. Are, are those meat-eating uh, meat sources? This is your warning. This podcast has sound effects because I think they're fun, but you've been warned. Please be prepared for the jolts. Okay, let's get into it. So I'm so excited for today's episode. As you know, this podcast's goal is to highlight the amazing people doing incredible things that they aren't qualified to do to better humanity or the environment or the world. But many people don't know what their purpose is or how to discover it. And I can identify with that. It makes sense. We aren't born knowing this, a lot of us. So to contribute your full value to the world in your unique way, you must define your purpose and understand how to get to where you want to go. So I was thinking that as the the second episode, it would be super valuable as a sort of foundation for this podcast and its growth to dive into that idea of finding your purpose, understanding how to get there, really understanding how to map it out and really balancing discovering that and going after it with maybe even a a nine to five that you have now because we do all have to pay the bills, right? How do you even start? What does that look like? What does it feel like? So we're talking to Juliet Nelson, an amazing woman, CEO, psychology professional, PhD student. She's going to share with us how she discovered her purpose, how to find your purpose, and all of her amazing contributions to the world so far. So let's go. Juliet Nelson, thank you so very much for joining us on the second ever episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. You are a psychology professional, founder and CEO, published author. Basically, is there anything you cannot do? Overall, amazingly accomplished woman. And I'm really appreciative that you're here to share your expertise for finding other people's passion, talking them through it, making sure people are North Star Bound, and I really am so excited to understand how you found your purpose for everything that you want to do to contribute back to people that are trying to find theirs and everything else you're doing in the world with your company, companies. So I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And to answer your question of what I cannot do, I cannot swim. You can't swim. um, I can't swim. You put me in water. I won't know what to do. I'll probably take you down with me. Do you (laughs) want to learn? I've I've made peace with the fact that I don't know. In high school, they forced me to take uh, swimming classes. And because my mother knows that I don't know how to swim, I couldn't even get bailed out of it. I had to get the little fins. Yeah. Did they have to come in and rescue you? Never, because they gave me the little lifeguard thing. So I made sure I was hands, feet, arms, plus the life vest, and then the little thing that you hold on to when you paddle. Oh, um, yeah, 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 that board thing, yeah. yeah. 
That's- yeah, I couldn't come to gym because I was taking college classes in high school. And we'll talk about that. But t- college classes in high school, I would have to make up the classes and I would have to do laps back and forth. Yeah, I don't miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can't swim. I can can't do swim. just about everything else. <laughs> I think for the most part. For the most part. I used to hate the water. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Speaking with you and diving into your expertise is really going to be important for the foundation and laying of this podcast. The goal of this is to encourage people to go after their passions and contribute to the world in ways that are massive, either careers or hobbies, really whatever fills them. And you are driven by empowering people to achieve the higher standards of their purpose. Driving into to build that tree is going to help. Right, right, right. Right, right, right. Absolutely. People can just fill out the branches as they go. Absolutely. Um, So let's start with what you're doing now. I would love to hear about your company, CEO and founder of Januri, and Mm -hmm. how you work through that to help others. Yeah. So in 2018, I founded Januri. Honestly, I didn't even want to start a business. That is the honest truth. I know there's this narrative of how great entrepreneurship is. Y'all, that is not a nine to five. It is a 24 seven job. Mm. And I was very well aware of it. And I just didn't care to be an entrepreneur. I think a lot of my friends were, no, this is a lane you should go in. And I'm like, no, it's not. And it was toward the end of 2017. And for context, my best, one of my best friends, 20 years at the time had committed suicide the summer of 2017. I guess I was in this place where I was trying to just figure out how to move forward. I think when you lose someone to suicide, that it's rough. It really, it blew the wind out of me yeah. to the point where it was like, wait, what do I do now? And so toward the end of 2017, I'd gone on this spiritual fast for reasons that I really had no business going on a fast for. And I, I think I got questions that I didn't even ask. So I didn't get answers to the questions I wanted answers to. Out of that came Junuri. One of my friends, good friends, who is now my business partner for another company, Guaze, he, we were just having like a brainstorming off, off the record, very casual brainstorming session of just all the things we were interested in. And, and I was mentioning, I was directing four children's, four choirs at the time, two children's choirs, a youth choir and a church choir. And he was like, Hey, why not just start a website and have that for yourself with all the skills that you do and whatever. And I was like, no, no. And I don't want anyone telling me what to do. So no, I'll let you know if I want a website and when we'll do it. But I was like, it's a no for me. And I so happened to, within, I think like a week or so, spend time with the family of one of my students who's become family as well. And we were also having just an off the record conversation. It was the holidays. They were like, Juliet, you're tutoring these students. I was doing it through um, an agency. And they're like, you're tutoring these students. You're a children's choir director. You do resumes for all of your friends for free. Why not just take that under your own umbrella? You have so many skills and you have so much to offer. Why not just take that under your own umbrella? And talking through it with me, I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. And they're like, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can just be this little LLC and so on and so forth. And so out of that fast came the idea of Junuri. Junuri, that's J-U-N-U-R-I. You can find them at J-U-N-U-R-I 
dot co so junuri.co junuri was founded in march of 2018 by juliet and the goal was to help students and professionals achieve their different goals in 2020 it expanded its brand to have three subsidiaries and junuri pursuit was one of them and that would focus on continuing to offer services that would foster learning growth and development for learners professionals as well as organizations And then there was also a publishing company, Junuri Publishing, that came out of that for uh, people finding their own voice with book editing, coaching and publishing services. And then Nuri Lens, which Juliet will talk about more as well. And it's just such a cool concept to have a eyewear company that is focused on seeing the world through your lens. And of course, she will dive more into that as we continue our conversation. So let's get back to it. And so I went back to my business partner and I was like, yeah, I I guess we are doing this website. And so by the end of that year, that fast, I had a website and so on and so forth. But of course, this was also a journey of what I was going to do. What was this business going to mean to me? And for those who are in the beginning of stages of starting a business, you're finding, figuring out what your business name is going to be, finding a domain, finding a mind, what is your service offering going to be? And then you have all these ideas of what you want to do, but you have to figure out where you're going to start. And I think through that process, that was also healing, evolving, growing. And that was another phase of going through my healing process. And that's where I, I think it's stuff where it was like, okay, sharing my lens. For context, Nuri in Junuri, I actually taught English in South Korea. Oh, wow. Almost 10 years ago by now. Um, almost 10 years, I had 2013 or 2012, something like that. And I and while I was there, my pastor, who was also the director of my school, he'd given me the Korean name, Nanuri, which means to share in Korean. So he also commissioned me to share my gift wherever I went. And so the name Nuri is something I kept with me because I remembered that commission. I remembered that calling that I have a gift and whether I know it or not, I have something and it has to be shared, whether it's at the smallest level or the largest level. And so I think navigating, you know, forming the business and and getting things together, I also came to that, um, I guess, that conclusion of sharing my lens. I love glasses. I also have an eyewear company, but I also have that obsession. So it was very much sharing my lens, meaning sharing my triumph, my pain, my success, my failures, and being okay with it. I think when we go through hard times, we, we always feel like we're alone. It's a natural human feeling, but imagine the feeling of someone sitting and allowing you to be and creating that safe space for you to be and saying, Hey, I was there. And it sounds cliche, but I got out of it and I know you will too. And so that's what really Junuri became. And so, yes, I do tutoring. I do coaching um, from an academic and professional standpoint, but it has so much more meaning to it. When people come to me, I'm really trying to tap into their skills, their interests and so on and so forth and ensuring that they leave with more than they started off with. The experience with Junuri different from others. It may not be for everyone, but that's that was the creation in a long, short, long, short, long version <laughs> of how Junuri came about and what I do with Junuri. So it's the J-U at the front just because of Juliet. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Jew, I always, so I love Korean dramas. People who know me well, they know I love me some Korean dramas <laughs> and I love K-pop. And so when I was there, I always had, and I'm also, I also used to sing. So 
I always had this artist name in my head and I'm like, I'm going to create an artist name or just like this alias name that I'm going to go by. And so I combined, I did a couple of different combinations, but I was like, Junuri sounds cool. And I'm just wrong with it. So I love that. Always creating an artist name. I feel like that's very, that's something you probably have always done uh, since you were. Yeah. And I'm able to step out as Juliet. That's who I am. But Mm -hmm. I think Junuri allows me to just I don't want to say it's an out-of-body experience, but it really allows me to step out into this extension of my best authentic self. So, yeah. yeah. I was curious, did Juliet always know what her purpose was? She seems so solid in her convictions and how she wants to help people and give back. Of course, she went through a lot to really discover her purpose, a lot of trauma, but it feels like maybe she always did know. Let's see. What kid knows what their purpose is? Some kids do. Some kids, um, I don't yeah, want to, say that. want to be an astronaut or, uh, yeah, they actually right. do it. So I think understanding your purpose and walking in your purpose, it's an ongoing journey and it's an ongoing process, right? For me, and I'm very blessed um, to have had people who have really held me account and have really taken some kind of part in reminding me that I was, and I had a purpose. And I don't even want to say I was different. Everyone's unique in their own ways. In high school, taking college classes, I was in like this college program, International Baccalaureate. And I hated being in it. I'll be honest. I hated being in it. I hated school at that time. And I remember trying to quit the program and saying, oh, I'm just going to take a couple of college classes, but I'm going to just quit the whole college program. And my guidance counselor, little snitch called the head of the program and the head of the program called my mother. And they all called me into the, this intervention. Wow. And I remember that head of the program saying, first and foremost, you're not going anywhere. Second of all, he was like, you have to understand just this, the task that you have. Your friends, they might be able to go and hang out with each other and and do this and do that, but you're called to a higher standard. You might have to spend an extra few hours studying. You might stay up a little later doing homework and, and so on and so forth. But even things like that, it's just those reminders that yes, you do have a purpose and and maybe life's going to be a little different. This task was appointed to you. And if you do not find a way, no one will. I, I, of course, I've been a children's choir director since I was 15 and a half. And I say the half only because it, for some reason, 15 and a half was a big deal to me then. Mm-hmm. And I like to honor my younger self by using <laughs> that half. But yeah, I, I was a children's choir director. And as much as I've tried to run to it, for some reason, it always follows me everywhere I go. I went to South Korea and I was like, I remember praying and I was like, God, we ain't doing this. We're not doing this choir thing. I didn't have these kids. I'm mm-hmm. not raising these people's kids. I'm done. <laughs> and I went to South Korea and some way, somehow my resume went around and the children's ministry director came to me and said, oh my goodness, we were praying for God to send us a choir director and here you are. So it's, you're not asking me, you're telling me, you're voluntolding me to be this choir director yeah. all the way half across the world. And then when I came back to the States, I ended up falling right back into it. And I always had people who came to me and was like, maybe this is just your gift, right? Yeah. To, um work with the kids. And it, I guess for me, and I really didn't come to terms with how I did it differently because I was always trying to have people fit into it. I was always trying to train other people to do the choir director role. And some people would say, no one does it the way you do it. I grew up in the town with the first two choirs that I directed. I grew up in the town where they were growing up. I went to their schools. And so I was showing up to career day. Their teachers were my teachers when I was a kid. And so 
there was a level of presence and I would say mentorship and accountability that I was holding the kids up to. I was also becoming that big sister where it was like, how are you doing in school and holding them accountable or just listening to them, answering some of their questions, things that were confusing to them, treating them like a human speaking life into them, things like that. And that goes beyond simply teaching the kids music when not all of them wanted to come to rehearsal. And uh, most of them will say that, but for them, choir was fun. Why? Because they got to tap into themselves as leaders, as team players. We would play, plan fun and game nights and they were very involved in selling, in hosting. We even went to children's hospitals and they were also involved in basically seeing the difference that they could also make. And so when it came back to me and understanding my purpose, it was like, no, you're not just teaching these kids music. But the kids are getting something else out of it. They're getting community. They're getting identity. They're getting friendship. They're getting leadership. They're getting all of these skills that they can now take out and and just function as citizens of society. Um, Double clicking into that real quick because it's so good. So your purpose might not have to be something that just fulfills you. As Juliet is explaining, it could be something that fulfills you and it also fulfills other people too. It helps them discover more about themselves. It helps them discover more about what they want out of life and it helps them have fun or maybe they have a difficult home life and they can actually find solace in you. If it's children, if it's adults, if it's anything. So don't discount the possibility of finding your purpose while finding your purpose with helping people too. And so really coming to terms with just those different aspects, I think now in my adult life, in my 30s, it's all really coming full circle. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool, of course. It's an ongoing journey. I will say, I remember applying for a job, I think it was last year or the year before, for a nine to five job as a manager or program manager. And I remember not getting the role. I would have been fine with them saying, listen, we found a more qualified candidate. I'm cool with it. I can accept it and I can celebrate the person who got the role. But I remember being told, you did a great job. You had a great experience and so on and so forth. And you have the potential but I just needed a little more. And I've never been so offended in my entire life. I remember calling my dad and speaking back his words to me and saying, you've always, since I was a kid, you've always called me lawyer, doctor, and president. So why is someone reducing me to just being a manager? And I have four companies. So I also have the title of CEO and founder. Those imposter monsters can really rear their heads at the ugliest times and honestly make no damn sense. No sense. So just ignore them, battle them, know your worth. You can be a CEO literally managing your own company and somebody doesn't see that value. Screw them. It doesn't, it's not the size that Google is, but it's, I realize potential is so man-made, right? They say, don't make friends, don't date people for potential. And when you think of purpose, it's yours. (laughs) No one can take it away from you. No one can define it. If your purpose is to help people, you can help people as a garbage man. You can help people as a friend, a sister, a daughter, a wife. You can help people as a lawyer, as a nurse. That's what purpose is. And I think for me, that's that was very much my epiphany. Growing up and wanting to be a teacher and then throwing the dream away for a trivial reason and then realizing that I didn't have to be in a classroom to be a teacher. Yes, I taught in the classroom in South Korea, but I taught children music. I taught yeah. them kindness. I taught them leadership. 
And even in the workplace, I'm now, I was able to train and I was able to develop training and see how I can impact training in the workplace as an industrial and organizational psychology professional, even in working in diversity, equity, and inclusion, also teaching people to clean their lens, teaching myself to clear my lens, you know, and things like that. So for me, that empowerment and that education and that teaching, it wasn't tied to the potential of a title. It was tied more to the purpose and the goal of stepping out and just being and doing so. Yeah, exactly. And you can see that, especially like through the kids that are also being able to go and sing at hospitals and they are also seeing through their own personal lenses. And it's just so cool to just see it spread like a beautiful web. And I'm sad that you didn't get that program manager job, but it sounds like you probably wouldn't have been happy there. I'm not sad about it. Right. (laughs) I'm not sad about it. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I think maybe like now a year, the organization I work for, they went through a restructure. My, my position was eliminated Mm. and I ended up getting placed into a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion role. And for people who know how passionate I am, about just my who I am and my identity and celebrating other people as well for who they are and also creating safe spaces for people to be who they are, mm-hmm. maybe disagree, but also accept other, accept the uh, other human beings existing in the same space, if that makes sense. And understanding each other's lived experiences without it taking away from yours. So people knowing that about me, I just, I just ended up in a role that was tailor-made for me. So honestly, I'm happy for myself. I'm not getting that position. Yeah, you seem just fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So in my, in my everyday life, when I'm talking to people about their careers, like even just like my friends or my sister, and they feel stuck in a rut. They feel that they are no longer passionate about their role or they aren't on board with their company anymore. And oftentimes I'll be like, okay, so what is your five-year goal for yourself? Five-year vision for where you want to be? What's your 10-year? What do you want to do in your life? If you could say, I want to make this impact. And so many people, it's like that question catches them off guard. And they're like, I don't know. I really, I'm in it for the paycheck. They don't say that directly, but it's that's where the conversation leads. And they're like, what is purpose? What do you mean? So what advice would you give someone who is just, I have no clue, where do I even start? So I think the important thing first is just to let go of the title and to embrace the, the purpose. And the purpose is the goal. It's the why. It's the meaning behind it. I think the challenge is when you ask someone for a five year plan and so on and so forth. Of course, we don't know because we're stuck on titles, right? Um, And that's how we've been raised and conditioned. What do you want to be when you grow up? And when you ask a kid what they want to be, it's not um, someone who helps people. It's not someone who helps people live healthier lives or, or protects vulnerable or serves children who, I don't know, grew up in single family homes. It becomes, I want to be a CEO. I want to be a doctor, a lawyer. And my parents are Haitian, born in Haiti. And a lot of Haitian kids will tell you, children of Haitian parents, and I'm sure other Caribbean or or African children can relate. If you're not a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, or an engineer, you are a failure. (laughs) Whatever else it is, you're a pure failure. Standard. But again, unfortunately, even growing up in the United States for myself, they ask you what you want to be. And then you go to college, for example, and you're so excited because you're going to be an engineer. You're going to be a an uh, astronaut and then you start taking the classes and you're like I don't, I don't know that I'm gonna like this 
or you start to discover how much work goes into that one title and that one box that you stuffed yourself into. Yeah, and you're like, I'm not like, I don't this. want it. Yeah. And, and I think it's the same thing with even getting into a, a job that we don't like. I've worked in jobs that I didn't like and that I've outgrown. I think what's really helped is the meaning part of it. That's what was able to carry me through every day as much as I didn't enjoy the job, but it allowed me to focus on the impact I was making. Hey, you're flipping burgers at McDonald's or you're a cashier, but imagine the fact that you smiled or you at someone who was having a bad day or you told them have a great day or you said, how can I help you? And this is someone who's not getting that level of attention at home. Something as simple as that, right? That is an impact that you're making in your workplace as much as you hate your manager and the work that you do. And that's not to invalidate the unsafe or the the toxic work environments that some people do work in. This is no shade to McDonald's. I don't know what it's like to work in McDonald's. Mm -hmm. I've never worked there. I worked at Marshall's. I could speak about Marshall's. Even a shopping experience. When I look back on my first job, I hated working at Marshall's. I hated my job. I, I didn't really like my managers. And there was a level of like despise and, and spite that I had because I, of my experience. But when I look back at my, at that experience, I'm, what if I, I knew how much help I was doing, I was giving, how much service I was giving to a customer who was taking their kid for school shopping, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A kid or a mother who was gifted, I don't know, a hundred dollars and she's low income and she's taking her children to Marshall's to buy them some clothes. How excited did those kids? Yeah. And that's where yeah. the purpose and the meaning comes in. And then all of a sudden life becomes worth living a little better because you're making an impact and you're also putting yourself in your customer's shoes or, or whatever the case may be. And again, every day is not perfect, but that at least allows you to have some more compassion and some more patience for that work environment while saying, okay, I know this is not healthy. So what does a healthier work environment mean to me? And what kind of meaning do I want to produce in that environment? What kind of skills am I going to bring? Let's try a little exercise. Instead of saying, I want to be a doctor, say, I want to help people. I want to make an impact in a person's everyday life and serve them delicious drinks rather than I aspire to be a barista. So turning it around, turning your, your I want to do this around into I want to help in this way, I want to make this impact could help lead you to, okay, this might be be at least the beginning of my purpose, the beginning of where I want this to go. So try it right now. Don't go right to, I want to be a conservationist. Of course, that's that's an amazing thing if you, you finalize on that. But if you aren't finalized on it, say, I want to contribute in X way. Say that, fill in the X. I want to help people. I want to help animals. So you can see kind of the beginnings of you don't need to have the direct name. You can just start by saying, I want to impact and I want to do it this way. Give it a go. I've worked jobs and roles and tasks that I was not paid for. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I slapped them on a resume. And those are the things that got me jobs. 
put it all on there. And so again, of course, the future is not uncertain. And I think we live in this world where we're constantly having to plan for such an uncertain future. Who knew that we were going to go through COVID, right? Um, But when you can at least try to seek for the meaning, that's where the purpose part comes in. Seek for the meaning in what you're doing now, and then discover how you would like to make meaning out of life going forward, maybe that can give a little bit more direction and insight. Yeah. And no impact is insignificant. Every bit builds on each other. Having somebody make their day, ask them how they are, make them smile. They might remember that for the year. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting, I have a student of mine. I have a lot of students who come to me with reading comprehension. And I had one student, and I try to be very honest with them about their learning journeys and approach with compassion and grace and so on and so forth. And I remember one kid who was having some challenges with reading comprehension and so on and so forth. I remember her asking me, Miss Juliet, what was it like being in school for you? And I told her, you know what? I struggled with reading comprehension and I still do today. And she's like, what? But you're teaching me. And I said, yes, because I learned how to understand things and teach it to other people. But it's not to say that I don't have challenges myself. And I told her that I was bullied. And I told her that sometimes it was hard to learn because I was teased, because I wasn't in a safe space to learn. And so when I got older and I started working with children, I wanted them to know that they also deserve a safe space to learn and they can grow and they can learn to read and they can become the best public speaker, reader, writer, whatever it is. And she almost got to a point where she said, Miss Julia, you're going to make me cry. But something as simple as that, right? Those are the days when I am tired and I'm exhausted and I just want to have some dinner instead of having to teach. But then knowing that there's a kid that's going to be encouraged at the fact that whatever they're going through, you went through it too. And they can identify with that. And then all of a sudden that becomes their motivation to say, you know what, if Miss Juliet can do it, I can do it too. Yeah. Let's double click into that. What are your experiences? Your just, I don't want to say negative experiences, but those experiences that are pretty darn near setbacks that have really defined you. Yeah. And honestly, it's in my adult life that I'm really having to reconcile what I'd experienced because Mm -hmm. I think I went through it. And I think that happens with a lot of us. We go through these experiences in childhood. We don't understand them and we just keep it moving. I was bullied more in elementary school. In middle school, I got my footing and I became that girl that was going to fight. And I, interestingly, I didn't, I fought boys only. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, I didn't. I've never fought girls. And I, I that is I very interesting. I want to, that's but an interesting female, psychological, but, yeah. Right. Girls don't fight fair. Girls don't fight. And that I've been like, I, I, my, a lot of my guy, a lot of my friends growing up were boys. And so I was manhandled. They wrestled with me. I got all the wrestling moves. So I was, I got the male perspective of how to, but all to say in elementary school, I didn't have many friends. I had very, I could count on one hand how many friends I had up till middle school. And then when I went to high school, I went to a predominantly white high school. And so being that one black kid, oftentimes being the one black kid in the class and navigating that was challenging. It wasn't blunt and outward racism or bullying, but it was subtle. And I don't know what's worse, the outward bullying as a kid or the subtle one in high school where 
you had your classmates. I was in like the top classes in my school. I, I was a college, I was, a, I was taking college classes mm -hmm. and I had my peers speaking to me like I was a pure. I've been space bagged and in, I think, I want to say, say in the 90s or the early 2000s. But when I was in high school, what happens is they would take your book bag and put it inside out when you walked out the classroom and then put your books back in. But the thing about it is when you're a young girl and you have your period and you have all your girl stuff, you don't want anybody going through your stuff. Mm -hmm. And even I remember that I, I remember going to my teacher and saying, I don't like this. And he said, oh, the kids are just teasing. And when you're the only black kid and the other two black kids, the other two, the kids that look that are brown, but they're lighter than you are, they're half white. Mm -hmm. So I came to learn that they were being used as the tools to bully me by the rest of the class and when I would communicate it to my teacher he would say oh they're just joking they're just joking and it happened again and it happened again and I ended up having to go to my principal and saying I have a clear record I have never gotten in a fight however if this happens and I've gone to my teacher but if it happens again a kid is going to leave in a stretcher and it's not going to be me and I I will forever be grateful to that principal because it and I don't know what he said or what he did, but it never happened again. Oh, but again, right. so for me, it's he may have, he probably said something because again, I was a very compliant kid. I never, I didn't fight when I wasn't picking for fights. I wasn't looking for fights, but that was my lived experience. And I also had to try to have some compassion as well for kids who didn't see a black kid. And so a lot of the, a lot of what they said and what they did, it had to have come from somewhere that they learned. And so in my adult life, I also try to reconcile and, and, and come to terms with that. But when you think of your experiences now in my adult life, I think it's as simple as I don't like seeing, especially people in weaker positions get yeah. bullied. I hate it. it. It's that simple for me. Even with my children's choirs, I always tell the kids, I don't care if your brother or sister, you don't breathe in the wrong direction because I will tell you it's not acceptable. Keep all hands, feet, and objects to yourself. And again, with these kids, I need to return them in the factory condition that their parents gave them <laughs> to me. Our repair spa will keep you stuffed, puffed, and lightly buffed. But again, those experiences really put me in a position where I don't care to see someone in a weaker position get pounced on. And so I'm more than likely going to say something or, and I tend to be a very passionate person. So I try to choose the lanes and the spaces I existed because not everybody can handle the passion that really sits behind the work that I do. Yeah. And you are very strong. You stick up for yourself. Like nobody's going to mess around with you. And that's really, I feel like yeah. kids not even today. Like I, I live in a, a smaller neighborhood, but there's still kids walking home from school and they're like bullying each other. And one's yelling at the other one to leave them alone. Yeah. It, it just never ends. But never. as an adult, you have to see it. You have to recognize it and you have to say, heck no, not on my watch. This is not yeah. happening because it's instill the fear of God in them. I don't know. Yeah. I've had to do it to adults. I've directed youth choirs, young adult choirs, um, adult ensembles and you have one adult who's like talking at another choir member and I've had to pull them to the side and I hear their perspective mm -hmm. because you also have to understand that bullies they they come from a pace of pain and they don't know how to channel, channel that pain not our responsibility but that's just the reality and so 
it was a matter of listening to their perspective and then saying this behavior is unacceptable. So if you feel that you're going to bully in under my watch and my choir, you can take that somewhere else because mm -hmm. I don't take it. And I will not allow someone pouncing on another member. And yeah. Yeah, just yeah. don't tolerate it. Not at all. I'd love to learn more about your eyewear company because I love the idea of the symbolism behind it where yes. it's your lens and yes. I love eyewear. Your glasses are fantastic. It, is that the idea that it really sprung from? Like you love eyewear and you want to encourage to see through individual lenses. And like, right. how did that all start? Yeah. So again, it all starts in South Korea. I, honestly, I discovered that you could buy glasses for $20, including the prescription in South Ooh. Korea. And while I was there, I was like, wait, I'm stocking up. So yeah. I started getting glasses in every shape, every size. I came back to the States and I found platforms where I could still order frames from Asia and then just get the work, get the, the system and put my yeah. prescription here. Yeah. That's what I did. When I started Junuri, I prayed a prayer and I was joking, but I was like, God, the next pair of frames that I buy has to be one that I design. Mm -hmm. I was joking. I and mean, I've had people say, oh, and for those who know Junuri, like from like the, the day ones, my first logo was actually a pair of blinged out glasses. Ooh. It had nothing to do with the company. <laughs> But everything to do with the fact that I love glasses and that's all that matters. I think I, in 2018, I want to say I discovered blue light. I found that gamers, people who play video games, they wear blue light. They use blue light filters. They wear blue light glasses to protect their eyes from sitting in front of the screens for so long. And then that kind of led to Nuri Lens. Um, I wanted the business to stand out and be different. So I was looking at different cases and I'm like, maybe we can make the case like a treasure chest. So this is actually, I still happen to have it on my desk, but this is actually the eyeglass case. No way. Um, yes, this is the eyeglass case. That's um, so yeah, cool. It's, it's made out of real wool, rosewood. It has a velvet interior and also says see through the lens of your purpose and really trying to figure out what meaning the business was going to have. I will make sure to put this website and the uh, junuri.co as links in the description of this episode, but Nuri Lens is Juliet's glasses company, and oh my god, you have got to go and see. I'm actually scrolling the website right now, and I, on uh, to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen so many unique lenses ever, probably. There's just square ones which is so cool there are wood ones and there's ones for really every shape of eye there's cat eyes they are truly beautiful lenses please go check them out but when she was talking about the glasses case just then so it's a treasure chest like a, a pirate's treasure chest and it opens up and the velvet inside so it's it's kind of a, a bigger box so even if you didn't want to use it for your glasses it's just such a cool piece to have out as well and I don't see the boxes on the website but I'm sure that um, they are there somewhere and you might be able to choose. I didn't ask her, but, uh, I highly recommend if you are into glasses, I'm actually in need of a new pair myself, go check out Nuri Lens. That's N-U-R-I-L-E-N-S.co. Again, I'll link that in the notes for this episode as well, but holy cow, the coolest, coolest. Of course, 
Nuri, back to Nuri, it means to share. And when you mm-hmm. put that together with lens, it's sharing my lens. And, and when you think of the significance of wood, it, it um, has a spiritual significance of knowledge, of longevity, of wisdom. And it's like a tree that's deeply rooted and it weathers every single storm, but it still evolves and it still grows and it still stands tall. And people still see it as just a beautiful thing. And that was really the challenge I wanted and the message I wanted to give to my customers. Um, that, that you should see through that lens and work to make an impact, work to be your best authentic self and step out as no one but yourself. And no matter what comes along the, the journey, continue to focus on that purpose because it's your purpose. I've also, on the cases, some may notice that there's a biblical verse on there. For others, it might not mean anything and that's okay, but it, that biblical verse says, write the vision, make it plain so that people who see it can run with it. And even if the vision seems far away, don't worry because it's going to happen at an appointed time. And this was something that I wanted to give as like a challenge where a challenge to my customers, whether I don't care if you worship a tree or you're atheist or agnostic, or you believe in God, Buddha, Muhammad, whatever it is. But it was something where it's like the challenge is to really see that vision and focus on that vision and keep working toward that. And when you put on the glasses, you're opening this treasure chest and you're stepping into this treasure and you're stepping into this experience and you should continue to enjoy the experience of your life's learning journey, evolve and heal and grow. And that's Nuri Lens in a nutshell. (laughs) Oh man, weather the storms, be the tree. Yeah. With your deep roots. I love that. Absolutely, yep. And I would agree that Bible verse, whether taken religiously or not, that's, that's really instrumental and powerful. Yeah. 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 And I've had the comments of why do you include it? If someone's Jewish or they're not Christian, they can't Mm -hmm. relate. It might be offensive. And really, and for me, it was like putting it there. If it means something to you, cool. But if it doesn't, that's fine. But the intention behind it stays the same from one human being to another. It's like, I am celebrating you and who you are and your identity and your purpose. And with these glasses, I want you to step out as your best self and continue to walk in that purpose. Yeah. Are you a fan of writing down purpose, writing down, making lists of like even really grand schemes of how to get there? Yeah. So this notebook here, (laughs) this notebook, has my mother got it for me and I think she didn't get it for the purpose that I use it for she got this little book and it says God is bigger than the ups and downs and it's just like a little notebook I don't know if you can see it but it has it's lined and I remember someone just having a hard day and trying to really process a lot of what I was I had on my plate and the person said okay make a list of everything you have to do mm-hmm. all the projects you have on your plate so I made a list and then they were like, I need you to write a list of affirmations. So I started, you know, it's normal for people to be, I'm going to make a million dollars and whatever. So I start making these big, and they, she was like, no, I need you to affirm those behaviors that you're going to take on to become and be who you want to be. And so with that, instead of, for example, I'm going to, I'm going to be this, that, and third weight, it was going to, it was, I'm exercising for 20 minutes instead of, or I'm drinking a gallon of water every day, Mm -hmm. instead of saying, I'm going to be a millionaire, it's I'm saving this, that, and third amount of money, or I'm taking these little steps and I'm doing them every day. And so in the morning, 
And this is not something I do every day. Some days I'm like, I'm, I don't feel like it. And it's a no for me today. Or I use the to-do list from yesterday. And I'm like, we're just going to roll this over until today. I love rolling over uh, lists. This, <laughs> yeah. this is me being transparent. But I do make a to-do list of everything I have to do that day. And for me, I know the feeling of sometimes just getting up out of bed being hard. And so on my to-do list, it as, it's as simple as meditate, do your devotion, drink water. Sometimes it's wash the dishes. Sometimes it's get, because my work attire is very much a white beater and shorts or joggers because <laughs> I work from home. So sometimes it's get dressed. Sometimes it's twist your hair. Sometimes it's sometimes it's like the smallest things, but I also couple that and have the bigger projects. Sometimes it's send someone this email, finish this task, finish this paper and so on and so forth. And what happens, the psychology behind this is beautiful. What happens is when you start crossing out something as simple as drink a glass of water, right? If on your to-do list, it said brush your teeth and you cross that out, even if your list had about like 15 to 20 things, just crossing those little things out, it's, oh my goodness, I'm doing something. I'm mm -hmm. accomplishing something. And to the rest of the world, yeah, maybe it's trivial, but to you, it's a big deal and it's worth celebrating. And so for me, I used to put, talk to my parents every day. And when I spoke to my parents, I crossed it off and it had nothing to do with the fact that I didn't remember to call them. Mm -hmm. um, but knowing that I did something, it was like, it's okay if you didn't finish this 10 page paper to hand in for a class assignment, but you did talk to your parents and you accomplished something today. And the same with my affirmations. I may not have achieved every single thing on those on that list. Sometimes it's go for a walk for 20 minutes. Sometimes it's drink a gallon of water. And even if I made it to 100 ounces of that 128, or even if I did half of that gallon, or even if it was one glass, I'm still seeing that. And I'm like, okay, I need to get closer and closer to that. And so it's my way of keeping me accountable. It's my way of also affirming who I am and what I'm able to do. And it's also celebrating just the little steps I'm able to take. I tell people, especially like for people who suffer mental illness or have contemplated suicide, we need to stop telling people that they only have, they have their family and their friends only to live for. They have themselves. And I think when we can step out as our best selves and be our best selves for ourselves, life becomes such a beautiful journey, no matter how challenging it can be. Yeah, so. the world needs you. The world needs yeah. what you have to offer yeah. and give. And yeah. it, it would. And you are part of the world. <laughs> yeah. 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 People would be remiss. And that's. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yep. Habit yeah. building is something I've heard a lot of. And that kind of really sounds like that. It's you drink your glass of water. And then the next day you drink mm -hmm. a glass of water and you write one page of your paper. And the next day right. that you're, you're calling your parents and writing two pages of the paper. It's yeah. like, it, it becomes so much more ingrained. And this is just my routine too. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. If people want to know more about what you do, and even if they want to apply for services or have you yeah. directly assisting them, where can they find you? How does that work? So you can visit my website, JulietNuriNelson.com. That is okay. J-U-L-I-E-T-E. -E. My name is French, not Italian. Nuri oh. spelled N as in Nancy, U, R as in Robert, I, Nelson spelled N as in Nelson Mandela, E, L as in Larry, S-O-N, JulietNuriNelson.com. Uh, my Instagram is also JulietNuriNelson. I'm not as active on Instagram, so I'm sorry if I don't follow you back as soon as you follow me because I'm trying to finish a dissertation. Uh, but 
Yes. So you can visit my website and it has links to regional republishing, Nui Lens, and everything else that I'm working on. Yeah. Great. What is your dissertation on? May I ask? My dissertation is on the experiences of Seventh-day Adventist volunteer workers with the concept of psychological ownership. So basically taking an an industrial and organizational psychology term that you would find more in the human resources for-profit world and bringing it into a nonprofit space where you have people offering their services for pay, I would say, without a paycheck. So basically seeing what ownership in those roles means to them and what their experiences have been with it. Interesting. So it's diving into why they are so passionate if they aren't getting paid. I would say, so psychological ownership per definition is the concept of feeling ownership, feeling like you own something, something belongs to you, but it's not a legal thing and it's not very much tangible. And so research in the human resources and the industrial and organizational psychology space has found that when, for example, an employee feels like this, this organization, this workplace is mine, right? I'm a mm-hmm. part of it too. I'm going to work harder or I'm, I might go the extra mile or I might be more engaged. The same thing from a brand perspective. Now I'm giving y'all all the gems. Customers who feel that, hey, they have some kind of stake or they have a part to play in a brand, like the brand belongs to them. They are more likely to spend their money with that brand because they can identify more with it. So now I'm bringing that into the nonprofit space and saying, And asking what does that mean in the volunteer space or in a church setting where you have people are supporting some kind of pro-social cause, faith, religion, whatever it is, and what does that mean to them and what has that experience been like for them? And just letting that be that starting point for additional research on how ownership plays a part in the nonprofit, whether it's faith-based, religious-based, or just general nonprofit. Yeah. That's fascinating. When are you, you. when is it due? So I am, I have about like maybe 50 to 75 pages to write. It sounds crazy, but I, that is crazy. I'm trying to really get it done. My birthday is on the 10th. So I'm trying to get it done over the next 10 days. My voicemail actually says that I'm on vacation and taking time off. If you have an emergency call 911 Uh, (laughs) so that I can focus on my dissertation. You have one unheard message. I'm trying my best to really, I have the last two chapters of just speaking to the analysis and the results of the data and the conclusion. And hopefully by the end of November or December, mid-December, the latest, I will be Dr. Julia Nelson. Yes. Oh my God. That's so exciting. Thank Thank you you. so much for taking the time out, like your extremely busy life. Happy (laughs) early birthday. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. And it's been an honor to be um, on this platform. I wish you all the best and all success. I'm super excited for you. Oh, thank you. You're you're going to have a blast. (laughs) I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm having much more fun than I thought I would. When I was like, oh, I really want to get this message out and I want to encourage people to just do the thing, just heck and do the thing. Don't care about if you're not qualified, just truly just do it. Build the skills as you go please. Right. Of course, society has our own definitions of what qualifications mean, of course. Yeah. But for the most part, if it's meant for you to do, just go for it. Yeah. My father says, if it kills you, you'll never have to do it again. So (laughs) I always go with that. Just try it once. And if you survive, keep going. I better put that on a sticky (laughs) note. (laughs) My father would, I can't can't tell you how many things my father, vegetables and fruits, my father has gotten me to eat. 
if it kills you, you never have to eat it again. And once I survived it, he's now you can have another one. It's just, <laughs> and you're like, I'll oh, make sure. I'm done. <laughs> but I do affirm you and, and I honor you. Um, and I congratulate you for, Thank for you. what you're doing. Thank you. That means no the world and truly good luck on your PhD journey. I have no doubt you're going to continue to make amazing waves in the world. Thank you for all you do. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Julia. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. Only a couple of weeks now from the airing of this episode will we be able to call her doctor. Juliet Nelson, which is just so very exciting. I uh, decided to leave a little bit about her dissertation in there because it's an absolutely fascinating topic. And if you see any publications about it, it might be from her, probably will be from her. So if you happen upon it and you can remember meeting her on this podcast and all of the great things that she's doing in the world and for people to find their purpose. So I really hope that you were inspired by this interview and I really hope that you go out there and you just do the thing. Remember, qualifications are many different things, transferable skills, all of that. We went pretty deep into that the last episode with Chris for the conservationist episode. So uh, listen to that if you want a little bit more of a deep dive into transferable skills. But I really hope that this made a little bit of an impact with you. Please reach out if you have any further questions um, for Juliet or for myself. I will post her information on the episode and I can be reached at ynqpod at gmail.com. That's Y N as in Nancy Q pod at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Y N Q pod at Y N Q pod, the same on Instagram. So go ahead and go message me there if that suits you better. And I also have a website, you're not qualified podcast.com. You can also reach me there, and the episodes and the email are also listed there. And because you made it to the end, I'm going to give you a little fun bit of trivia. So the first wearable glasses, according to Google, known to history, appeared in Italy during the 13th century. So they were glass-blown lenses set into wooden or leather frames, um, sometimes even animal horn, and then they're held before their face or perched on the nose so they didn't have the piece that went behind the ear. Uh, So 13th century, the first glasses, and my, have they come a long way. All through blue light glasses, VR glasses, Harry Potter's magically repaired glasses. You've got dirt on your nose, by the way. Did you know? 3D glasses. So many glasses. Okay, well, thank you so much. And I really hope that you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. And I hope to see you next Thursday for the next episode on Thanksgiving. Okay, bye.